It's good that we have something to sing about. Amen? I'd love for you to take your Bibles and join me in the book of Colossians chapter 3. The title of our study this morning is, Our Finest Hour is Yet to Come. And you may think the goal of today's message is to tell you when your finest hour will be, or where, or maybe even what it is. But no, that is, that is not the goal of my message today. The goal of my message today is to get you ready when that time may come. We don't know exactly when the Lord is going to call us to do something great. And I think sometimes we kind of expect it's going to be a one-time thing. That we have one opportunity and then it slips away and God, he's just so unforgiving. He'll never give us another opportunity again. It's not that way. There is a lot to be said about preparation. There's a lot to be said about being ready when that time actually happens. I want to share with you some quotes that have always impacted me um, as I studied through high school and into some college and then in Bible college as well. There's been a lot of things said about success. In our society today, especially with everything that's driven with social media, there's a large emphasis placed on success, and there's nothing wrong with that. I believe God wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to go out and teach, bring people under the sounds of the truth, and then help them to grow as they're connected to Christ. We need to know what the gospel is and what it is not, because there's a lot of false messages swirling around in Christian communities today. There's nothing wrong with success, but I think for the Christian, we have to be careful to define and pursue the right kind of success, because we can be successful in a lot of things that amount to nothing. We can be successful in things that are so much fun to accomplish. They're rewarding, and it, it, it looks good, feels good, smells good. It's great. But when we get to heaven, we find out that we have wasted the opportunity that we had in this life. There's a song that's on Christian radio. I heard it this week, and I'll probably butcher all the lyrics here, maybe even the references, but one of the things that this um, singer was singing about was his greatest fear is that he's going to wake up and he's 100 miles away from what he should have been doing. You know, that is a legitimate fear, but we don't have to stay in that fear. You can do the right thing. You can do the right things and be successful in the right areas as a believer, but there's a lot of temptation out there. There's a lot of hooks in the water that have bait on the end that are trying to get you away from what God wants you to do. As your pastor, it's my job to teach you the word and help guide you in the right direction. There's a word in the Bible called admonish, and it's a very harsh word. It's not a fun word. If someone has to admonish you, it's not something that is always enjoyable. And the threat of admonishment is you admonish somebody who's immature. I think we've all been in this position, if we are completely honest with ourselves, where we got exactly what we needed in the form of a critique. Somebody told us exactly what we needed to hear in in, in love, but it was firm, it was forward, it brought us to the point where you are wrong, you need to make some different choices. And we chose to respond negatively. We chose to respond in a way that made that person the one who's in the wrong. We chose our own self-preservation over the ability to grow. This is where our society is today. You can't tell people they're wrong. We're living in a society today where there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative. To the point where if you disagree with somebody else, the fact that 
they don't agree with you is an offense. It's something that can be brought as an actual charge against that person. Can you imagine if a requirement here to be a member of Calvary Community Church was that you liked mint chocolate chip ice cream and you swore off all others? What? Wouldn't that be crazy? We all have different palates. Granted, the people who don't like mint chocolate chip, there's something wrong, right? We should pray for those people. There's something is going on. Just kidding. But can you imagine if that was the standard for fellowship? If that was the standard for being able to spend time with one another? You'd think something's wrong there. That's the world we're living in, folks. Not about mint chocolate chip, about my truth is always true. You know, that, that's not going to work. There's going to come a time where people say, your right to live is against what I believe to be true. And then you start to see things like the evolutionary model actually play itself out. Socialism, communism, these are how these things go. They sell you something that looks good in the beginning, but when you actually purchase it, it's nothing that you were sold. And we can do this in the body of Christ. There can be many problems, especially when you have to be rebuked on something, when you're doing something wrong and you have a brother or sister in Christ who cares about you, they bring these issues to you, but you are so set on preserving yourself that you will destroy them to keep you satisfied and happy. That's a real danger in the church today. That's why churches don't talk about sin anymore because, quote, sin is offensive, end quote. We don't want to talk about the blood because, well, that's icky for people. The only way you get to those conclusions is when you elevate the preservation of society over the eternal value of God's word. You know, this isn't going anywhere. If you memorize this, you are learning something that is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away. This will remain forever. So we ought to know what this says, right? You say, Pastor, you say that all the time. Well, I'm, we, it's because we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of these things. But admonishing is a hard part of the Christian life. We have to bring things to people when they're making mistakes. We do it out of love, not to destroy them, but to, the scripture uses the word edify, to build up one another. We speak the truth in love. Can you say something correct and it's factually right, but you say it incorrectly? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But we also are supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to help as everybody is trying to go towards the common goal of being more Christ-like, bearing fruit in all areas of our lives. But you see quotes like this, and we're going to cover some now. I'll just take a look at the screen here. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. We know this is a very, very famous business quote. A lot of people use this. They say, if you're prepared in every area of your life, especially in the area of your expertise, when the opportunity comes, you'll be ready. There's a lot of truth to this statement. How about this one? Hard work beats talent when talent won't work hard. That's a very, very good statement. You can be as talented as anybody on the planet in a certain area, but if you're not willing to put the work in, that talent is profitless. As a matter of fact, the scripture kind of talks about this when it talks about love. You can have all the gifts. You can have all the ability to discernment. You can even have faith to where you could remove mountains. But if you don't have love, you're profitless. So you can be naturally talented, but if you don't put the work in, that talent amounts to nothing. How about this? Failing to plan is planning to fail. Oh, we all know about that. That's, that's, uh, this is procrastination's best friend. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And here it is. It's 11.59. The paper's due at 12. And you're going to chat GPT, you know, trying to get that thing done. Well, you did plan to do something, which was to fail. 
So what's the solution? You make a plan. Of course, we understand those things. A goal without a plan is just a wish. I tell this all the time when I'm doing counseling with individuals. I tell people, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? And they will give me a very broad, high and lofty goal. Nothing wrong with that. But that broad, high and lofty goal, you're not going to be able to get that in one day. You've got to break that out into smaller pieces and you start going after one. You get another one done. You get another one done. But if you just have goals that you want to accomplish, you don't do anything with them. Well, you're just hoping something happens. That's the definition of insanity. Can you imagine if your car had a problem? Maybe you run out of gas and you just sit on the highway and just, I will get gas, I will get gas, I will get gas. And the hours go by. There's no more gas tank in your car than what there was before. You actually got to get those feet out and get to a gas station and put gas in the car. You may say this is so basic, but you know, people live their lives this way. They live their lives with no plan. And I'm telling you folks, zero. And there are people that come alongside and continue to encourage them in this way. You know, I, I hear people say all the time, well, I'm just going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to give it to the Lord. That's good. But are you ready for when the Lord is ready to bless you in that opportunity? Have you found yourself ready and able? I've heard it said, put legs on your prayer. Yes, we're supposed to take our concerns to the Lord, but we're supposed to be continuing to do correct. Be not weary in well-doing. We need to plant the right thing. How about this one? Before anything else, preparation is the key to success. It's so easy. And you know, there's a little bit of a reason why I'm talking about these things as we're getting ready to that, you know, new year, new me, right? Gym memberships are preparing for this. They're getting new kettlebells. They're getting all the equipment oiled up and everything because they know come January 1st, that place is going to be flooded. They're getting prepared. I already see it. Get the whole year for 25 cents, whatever, you know, and they, they get you with the sign-up fee and all that stuff. But they're preparing themselves. But a lot of people think, well, the calendar is just turning over, so therefore, with the flip of the page, things will just boom, magically happen. You've got to be prepared for those opportunities. I think the number one area where people are not prepared is they don't know where they're going to go when they die. And trust me, folks, people are thinking about death. Just because we see a world that is vibrant and, you know, we have all these things about, oh, the neural link and expanding the human consciousness and all these different things doesn't mean that people aren't still thinking about the day that they pass away. People are getting cancer diagnosis in their family. They've got a loved one who they always thought would be around forever and all of a sudden now they're terminally ill. That reality hits very quickly. I've seen people living life in a way that just is, is normal, there's nothing wrong with it, and the next thing you know, they're in a horrible accident and their whole life changes. That can happen to us at any moment. If you think about the way some people live their lives, the way that they treat their bodies, they could die of a heart attack at any minute. They wouldn't even know what happened to them. That's the number one area where I see people are not prepared. They do not know where they're going to go when they die. That is why I think that is the first step to having godly success, to being prepared when your finest hour does come. And so people will say, well, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? People will say, how can I be sure that I have eternal life? Certainly, when you start thinking about that, you can begin to panic, right? We can begin to think, oh, goodness, I, I'm not sure. And if I die today, that means I die uncertain of going to heaven. And then the likelihood may be, could I be heading to hell? And so when we understand what God has offered to us in his son, we see how we can be prepared 
for the day of our death. Now, I know this is not happy topics. You know, sometimes church, churches, have set, <laughs> churches have set up this idea that every time you come to church, you're going to be encouraged and it's going to be a nice, oh, hey, nice to see you. But we've got to talk about real issues, folks. Life is not going to be nice to us all the time. Amen? There are things that happen where we can really look up at God and say, why me? Well, it's appointed unto man to die once. Every man. Every man is going to die. I think it's silly to see this idea that we can take the human consciousness as if it's some material chemical reaction and posit it in bodies. That's not going to work. We're made after the image of God. God is the one who is in control of that. But look at what our world is doing. I'm talking, folks, millions of dollars is being put towards this kind of technology. How many people are going to die in an effort to try and prove something that has already been said in the Bible? We can't just hope for a day in our time when people will find eternal life and they'll just go from one body to the next body to the next body and we'll just go on forever. Isn't it funny that man is trying to do everything that God has already said he'd do? Who's the author of eternal life? The Neuralink? Mr. Musk? How about uh, Mr. Gates? How about our friend Zucky? How about him? No, 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 no. These guys are not the authors of eternal life, but look what they're trying to do. Look what they're trying to do. God is the one who is in control of those things. We shouldn't be hoping for some technology to save us from death. We should look to God and see the solution that he has provided. If I can have your attention for a moment before we go on, I want to make sure I hit this first in the beginning, partly because we're going to have communion today, but also because a lot of what we're going to talk about today is for the person who knows that they're going to heaven. We can, I can give you all these success points and all these different things, and it would be very beneficial, but if you don't know where you're going to go when you die and you do all of these things here, they're not going to get you to heaven. This hand is going to represent you and me, and this illustration here is going to use this polished block with the word sin on it to represent sin. We all have sin, amen? Husbands, if you're wondering, just ask your beloved. We all have sin. God, he loves us. He hates and despises sin because sin is what separates us from him. We have to be absolutely perfect without any sin to get to heaven. Not your very best, not man's absolute best, but perfection, sinlessness. We all fall short. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. It's no wonder that most Mythological writing today tries to ignore any permanence in the underworld. There's always a way out. Even in one of the most well-maintained religions in the world, Catholicism, there is this teaching that you can pray people out of eternal separation from God. It's not in the Bible. The, the Bible tells us that eternal separation from God is what happens to those who die without a payment for sin. Now, I told you a minute ago, God loves us and he hates our sin. That is true. Well, Satan despises you and he will try to deceive you with things like this. You've got to turn from your sin to be saved. You've got to try your best. You've got to give money. You've got to be a good person in order to get to heaven. That's how you'll get perfection is you doing your best. But the Bible says we're not saved by works. The Bible says the payment for sin, and we should pay attention to this because if we're trying to pay for our sin then we ought to know what the payment is. The payment is death, not good works. You can be the best person this world has ever seen, but you still have sin that must be paid. 
This hand is going to represent God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. We all know what Jesus did. The world knows what Jesus did. He went to the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. The world has twisted that to some type of holiday that we celebrate at Christmas time because he was born, and then at Easter time because he was risen. But they totally missed the point. Why did he go to the cross? Why did he shed his blood? Why was he buried and rose again? He made a payment for your sin. Now, some of you, that might have just blown your mind. You may have thought, I never heard that before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean? For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten Son. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. That whosoever, anybody, doesn't matter how good or how bad you are, whosoever simply believeth in him, the only begotten Son of God, who is Jesus Christ, should not perish, which means spend an eternity in hell, but have everlasting life. So what this verse, John 3.16, is telling us, and the world knows this verse, is that you can have eternal life by believing on the finished work of Jesus Christ, that what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection as the Son of God paid for your sin. The moment that you believe on him, not your good works, not your church, not your intent, but the moment you put your faith, your assurance and confidence in Jesus Christ, God gives you eternal life. That's salvation. In the court of God, you are now justified, declared righteous, as if you have never sinned. There's a promise now that one day you'll be glorified. That means when you die, your soul and spirit leaves this body and you'll get a brand new one in a place called heaven where there is no sorrow, there is no separation. You may have heard the word death. That means separation. There is none of that in heaven. The Bible tells us, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. And it says, comfort one another with these words. So this sin that separated us from God, Jesus has made a sufficient and accepted payment for it. And if you simply put your trust in him, apart from any good works, you receive the righteousness of God. I don't deserve that. But that's love. That's love. And I know the day that I die, I'm prepared. I'm not hoping that I'm going to be ready on that day, that that's the day that I, you know, confessed all my sin, that that's the day that I was really doing well. I know right now if I were to go, there's no threat of me going to hell. Zero. And you might say, why? Because I believed on the risen Savior. He said it, I believe it, and that settles it, folks. And that gives me all the confidence in the world to serve him wholeheartedly. I'm not serving with the hidden fear that maybe I'm not really saved. I know I'm going to heaven because the Bible says, whosoever believes, they receive. That's how people can be prepared. You see this quote up here before. Anything else, preparation is the key to success. There's a reason why we talked about what we just spoke on in this quote, because before we can do anything of value to God, we have to be prepared to meet him. So my question is, if you're here today and you walked in and 
to the service today and you said, I do not know where I'm going when I die. I hope I'm going to heaven. That's the answer I hear the most. I hope. You can know. Right where you're sitting. Usually, at the, you know, we do this at the end of the service and I ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, and ask for a raise of hand. But I'm going to ask right where you're sitting. You can simply change your mind from unbelief to belief. And God will give you the free gift of everlasting life. Believe on Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If that makes sense to you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you now have assurance that you're going to heaven. Because guess what? Before anything else, preparation is the key to success. Will you pray with me, please? Heads are bowed, nice or closed. If you're here today and that message made sense about the gospel, I want to pray for you. You say, Pastor, I don't know much, but what you said made sense. I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? I would certainly like to do that. Would you just slip your hand up and let me know? God bless you. Amen. Anybody else before we continue on with our study this morning? Raising your hand doesn't save you, and I know it may feel like pressure to raise your hand. That's not the point. I just want to pray for you. It just lets me know that you trusted in Jesus Christ today. You now know you're going to heaven. Anyone else before we continue on? Father, I ask you to bless your word this morning as you promised us you will. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. All right, let's take a look on the screen here. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's Proverbs 29.10. It reminds us that a mission or a field or a group of people that have no vision, they're going to perish. They will not continue on. One of the great things about this church here is we had a pastor for 42 years who did not have a visionless church. Dr. Lindstrom maintained the gospel message's clarity. He made sure that every ministry taught it. He went down to that radio station as long as he could for many years, answering questions and taking, uh, yeah, giving answers and uh, taking questions on the Bible. He even made the office that I'm in now into a studio where it was all hooked up, where he would do that hour-long radio show. People described it as something they had never seen before nor since. That man had a vision. When he passed away unexpectedly in 2008, Dr. Arnold came in, and he also had a vision. And we were blessed to have him as our pastor for 11 years. And in 2013, we started Florida Bible College of Tampa right in the back building. Matter of fact, it was actually in this room. I know because I used to fall asleep. I mean, study on these pews right here. <laughs> study intently. Little did I know, 2013, God was preparing me. When Dr. Arnold um, retired and went to full-time on-the-road evangelistic ministry, on December 27th of 2020, I was asked to be the pastor here. And I have a vision for this ministry. You all know what it is. We need to be Calvary Community Church. We need to reach our people where they are. I wish I could, we would have time for the emails that I've received of encouragement for this ministry. There are people that were going to a totally different church and they ended up here and now they're here. There are people who came here because they got off of an airplane. They said, I was looking for a church. I saw all your reviews and I came in. And we're ready to meet them. We're not scrambling saying, oh my, a new visitor, what do we do? What, I, I'm not ready. We're ready for those things. This ministry has a vision, needs people, 
And we've got great people. We could always use more, amen, with that vision. I've got three points that I want to share with you. The first one is we need to focus our mind. Look in Colossians chapter 3, if you would, please. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So we see here we're risen with Christ. Paul is using if as if it's something that hasn't happened, but he's arguing from something they already understand. And you may say, oh, well, that's convenient. You're going to have to show me. Gladly. Look in chapter 2 of Colossians, just across the page there in verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen in him through the, op- uh, through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So look up here. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Those who have put their faith in him. By the way, we've got one person here today that just said they put their trust in Jesus Christ. So these things are true of them now. Amen? Amen. You put your trust in Jesus Christ just as he was buried and rose again, so have you. Look what it says in the rest of that verse. Verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, this is all you had before salvation, Hath he quickened together with him, once you've trusted on Jesus Christ, you're now made alive. That's an Old Testament word for made alive. You see quickened there. Having what? Forgiven you how many trespasses? All of them. And people will say, well, hold on, pastor. What if you go and do X, Y, and Z? Certainly those things would be held against you. May I ask you a question? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, how many of your sins were yet to be committed? all of them now some people say well you're telling me i can go and sin however i want and i still go to heaven i'm not telling you to do that but he paid for all sin he paid for it all if there was any kind of sin that we could commit after we've accepted jesus christ that means he didn't pay for it now people don't like that and i'm not here to apologize for it that's what god said that's how he's organized it There's severe punishment, chastening, loss of rewards for the carnal believer. But there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Amen. Look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your, I'm I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. Hold your spot in uh, Colossians. Go to Romans chapter 6. We need to focus our mind because we are risen with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Page 1,198. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin, hallelujah, how many times, folks? Once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, Reckon ye, see we've turned, look up here for a moment. There's an emphasis on who Christ is. Then there's an emphasis on what we should do in light of that truth of Christ. Amen? The Bible is a book of practice, application. We should be learning and applying, learning and applying. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Dead. Indeed, unto what? Sin. Now you may say, 
Does that mean a real proof or verification of eternal life is that I don't sin? No. What he's saying here is, in the threat, in the present reality to continue sinning, you need to reckon yourself dead to it. And the reason why is because you're in Christ and He's risen. We have a new identity now. You're not trying to clean yourself up. You're already clean. You're placed in the cleanest one. Amen? Amen. We have to recognize these things as we move forward. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? We need to focus our mind because we are going to heaven. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Side note, this is one of those messages that we're going to be flipping through a lot of the Bible. Amen? One of the things that impressed me the most coming here to Calvary was how much Scripture we looked at. I grew up in a church where it was two verses, rant, holler, rave. All the deacons said amen. All the elders stood on the pew and said amen. Look at verse 5. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, oh, there's that phrase again, you know what that means, made alive, us together with who? With our good works? With our own effort and ability? No, with Christ. By grace are you saved. By the way, I always think it's great. If you look at that, in today's 2023 world of technology, like texting, there's a winky face smile there. I guess that worked when I was a youth pastor. Verse 6, look what it says. And hath raised us up together. We just talked about we need to focus our mind because we're risen in Christ. But also raised us up together and made us sit together where? Heavenly places. Now you're not going to go on Google and go, where are the heavenly places? And I'll say, oh, it's six hours away. If you you actually take this route, you'll get there in six hours and two minutes. That's not what he's talking about here. We're talking about if ye then be risen with Christ. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. This is not something of a matter of if. It is true. Our possession is already secured in heaven. Isn't that, isn't that great motivation? That's the purest gas of motivation to serve we could ever get. <coughs> I wonder why. Because God said it and it's true. In heavenly places, in who? Christ Jesus. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice here we've read a little bit of Paul. Now we're going to read a little bit of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Page 1311 in a loaned Bible or if you have a Schofield Bible. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by what? the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? To an inheritance. We are in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for what reason? An inheritance. Ooh. An incorruptible one. Nice. Undefiled. And that fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for who? You. Who have believed. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are going to an inheritance which is in heaven. That's good. 
We are dead to the world, but alive to Christ. That's why we should focus our mind. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. If you're still holding on to Colossians, I've misled you. You can let that go. Some of you are like, oh, good. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. We need to focus our mind because we are dead to the world but alive in Christ. Paul writes this. By the way, remember this man. Used to be a persecutor of the church. He used to do whatever he could to bring the justice of his world system onto these people who preached and believed on Christ. And he had a complete change of mind. What a... What a testimony to the power of God, amen? This is how he views himself now, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Remember John 15 from last week? Abide in me, without me you can do nothing. Oh, this is a man who got it. And Paul wasn't even there when Jesus made that address to the disciples. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life, the physical life, which I now live in this body, the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul, in other places in Scripture, he says he learned how to be abased and abound. To always be hungry, but always be full. But in any situation, hungry, full, abased, or abounding, he learned to be content with what he had. That's a person that can't be stopped because the world doesn't understand that. The world teaches stuff like this. Oh, if you just had a little bit more, you'd be better. <coughs> if you just had all your credit card debt paid off, you'd be better. Oh, if you just had good health, you'd be better. Oh, if we just had a different form of government, we'd be better. Folks, this thing is going down the toilet fast. The only thing we need is Jesus to come back. Amen? Amen. I'm going to start putting that bumper sticker. Jesus. And then I'm not even going to put a year. Jesus for king. And people are going to go, oh, what do you mean? And it's a great way to give the gospel. I'm not looking for a politician to save this planet. Matter of fact, the next greatest politician will probably be the Antichrist. Can you imagine somebody in the 2024 campaign getting up there on the podium and saying, I am God? And you go, no, no one would believe that. The Antichrist will do that. There, He's going to be in the temple posing as God and people will serve him as God. You think this world is ripe and ready for deception? It is. <coughs> We're looking for a political savior. I'm looking for the risen king. Amen? And we should be too. Look in John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. We're still talking about dead to the world, but alive in Christ. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Jesus is giving the discourse on the good shepherd here. Verse 28, he says, And I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You are in Christ now, who is held by the Father you're double secured. Dead to the world. As Paul said, the, flesh, uh, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look in John 14, 19.
Jesus is in the upper room here, right before he's about to be handed over. He says this to his faithful, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Now hang on, all the apostles are dead. Was Jesus incorrect here? Was he, was he speaking incorrectly? He just got something wrong? No, 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 friends, they're more alive than they were here on the earth. They have a type of life that is not threatened by death anymore. There is no separation for those men. Why? Because they were such great men of renown and they had great works. They believed on him. Jesus earlier said in John 11, right before he took Lazarus and raised him from the dead, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? She says, yes, I believe. I, I have no idea who Martha is, but one day I will. I'm going to see her in heaven. She believed unto eternal life. Dead to the world, alive in Christ. We shall be glorified. Therefore, we should focus our mind. Look in 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, in verse number 2, page 1323. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Those who have believed, the one who just trusted Christ this morning, you're a child of God now. Isn't that great? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. When you woke up this morning, this is not what you're taking into heaven, right? But we know, we know this of a truth, that when he... Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like him. What does this mean? We'll be glorified as he is glorified. We'll have new bodies as he has a new body. For we shall see him as he is in his glorified state. This is assurance. This is comfort. Paul writes of the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. Let's look over there. The book of Philippians chapter 3. In verses 20 through 21, page 1260. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. Boy, the scripture nailed it, amen? <laughs> About the description of this house that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working thereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That's the power of the one that we have trusted in. Amen? You're not trying to work enough so that you have a completed body here. The promise is already given. Number two, we should prepare for opportunity. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians is a great book. I really think those first three chapters are where a lot of the teaching that, that Paul goes on to teach is rooted. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 6, Paul says this. This is page 12, 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, meaning they, they amount to nothing, 
but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, he's not saying he says it in a manner that is mysterious, but that's how the world receives it. Even the hidden wisdom of God. Why is it hidden? Because the world does not seek after God. It's not hidden to those who are seeking. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now there are songs written about this verse. Like I can only imagine. Beautiful song, great lyrics, wonderful chord progression. But read on, folks. Read on. But God hath revealed them unto us by His what? The Holy Spirit. There's somebody here today that when they believed, they received that Holy Spirit today, this morning. You now can understand the things of God. You don't have to hope and wonder and guess. You can know. Look what it says. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. We all know competition, it's mankind. We all know lust, it's mankind. I don't mean in a sexual way, I just mean desire. We all understand that. You don't have to teach a kid how to be rude and disobedient and lie. It's in the nature of man. But look at the comparison. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we, those who have believed, have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that, uh, that are, ooh, ooh, this is very important description of these things and how they're given, freely given to us of God. You don't have to wait to join our church until you can understand the deep things of God. You don't have to buy my book, Seven Ways to Have Success, Number Six Will Blow Your Mind. You don't need that. You got the word. You know what the number one attack on this ministry is? It's too simple. It's not deep enough. What other book should we add to this? What other book? This is, is this not sufficient? We need to learn the wisdom of God as we saw here. Look in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. We need to reject the wisdom of the world. Look in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. How, how do I have any power or confidence? Because of the cross. Amen? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by its wisdom, now I added its wisdom, but it's for clarity here, by the way it thinks is right, knew not God, it pleased God, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now that doesn't mean that preaching is foolishness. The Holy Spirit is describing how man sees preaching. They see what I'm doing up here as foolishness. What you're doing here today is wasting your time. And it's funny because you ask and say, well, what else would you do? Well, just go have fun. Kids have fun. Kids need things to go and, you know, do and have fun. I'm having a great time this morning. You know, what, you know why? I'm teaching truths. I know because God said it, it's true. There's nothing I'd rather do than what I'm doing right now. And 
I know that you may think there might be other things, but I'm telling you, I love this. This is what I live for. It's my life. I want this same joy and peace that I have for you. Look at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things, things which are despised, God chose. Yea, yea, in all things, or excuse me, and things which are not to bring to not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There's a purpose and a reason that salvation is the way that it is. It is to confound the wise. Reward those who know through humility they need a Savior. So we need to learn the wisdom of God, reject the wisdom of the world. We need to be careful to maintain good works. Look in Titus chapter 3, would you? Well, there's a whole group out there on the internet, man. They hear this and they go, nuh-uh-uh. We don't have to maintain any good works. Really? I think you better like buckle up for this part right here where it says we should. Page 1284, Titus 3, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm every once in a while. On the first Sunday when there's communion, when you feel like it, what does it say? Constantly. That they which have believed in God, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so this is for us. Might be careful. We might take care. To what? Maintain good works. For what reason? These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions. By the way, Proverbs 13.10 tells us that every form of contention is because of what? Pride. We should avoid those things, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. This is why when you have an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ and they start talking about other things, you acknowledge the concern, but you ask if you can finish talking about the gospel. Because that's what matters. What does it matter if you change somebody's mind from evolution to creation, yet they die without a payment for their sin? We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. That is done by possessing this vessel properly. And we need to know the word. Look in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy, yeah, chapter 2, verse 15. This is the Awana verse. Those of you who grew up in Awana, or maybe you've sat in on our Awana program, you see how much scripture these kids memorize. There's a reason. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is writing to a young preacher boy who's going to take ministry. He says to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto who? The board of elders? Unto your denomination? Unto what the world says is acceptable? Unto who? God, because that's who Timothy's going to stand before. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And there's a lot of people that have a fork and knife. And they are tearing up the Bible incorrectly. They have all the tools, but they're not understanding it correctly. And this is where people go, oh, are you saying the only one, you're the arbiter of truth? No, I'm saying there's a lot of false teaching out there. Look at the word faith movement. 
Look at the prosperity gospel. People think they can buy their eternal life with their faithfulness to a man. And people will use verses. They'll twist them like pretzel makers. They will twist these verses to say what they do not say. You know how you avoid that? You study the Word. You study the Word. And you ask questions too. There's nothing wrong with that. And finally, we need to meet the call. Look in 2 Timothy right there, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Meet the call. So we're focused in our mind, we're prepared in our action, and we're ready when the call, when the phone rings. Preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, in light of this judgment that's coming, preach the word. Be instant, in season, Ooh, and out of season. There is no off season for the believer. We don't get to December 26th and go, oh, what a season. Who finished first? Oh, there's Calvary, man. They did it again. Well, I'll see you guys in March when we get ready for Easter. <laughs> and that's how the world kind of acts though, right? You've heard of CEO Christians, right? Christmas, Easter only. That's how people are living. Oh, you know. Christmas time, bring the family down. Now, we want to accept those people, but can I be honest? You're missing out on a lot. You're missing out on a lot. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, there's that synonym for admonish. Exhort with all long suffering and what? Clear teaching, doctrine. You can be patient, 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 but when it comes to false doctrine, you need to nip that right where it is. We need to abide in Him. Look in 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. Page 1322. But whoso keepeth His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. This is not a salvific phrase. This is a phrase of abiding. This is fellowship. You know you're in the light because as it says here, you're keeping His Word. You can't keep something that you don't know. So you've got to know the Word, do what it says. That results in keeping it. Look at verse 6. He that abideth in Him ought himself also so to walk, even as He walked. This is why no matter how hard we try to teach an animal to do human-like things, it is an animal. There are people that are so deceived that because an animal does something that looks human, therefore we can conclude that it is. It's different. You're a child of God and you say you're abiding in the Lord. We should be able to see that in the way that you walk. I'm talking about the way you physically walk the way you carry yourself. And that's where my conclusion is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Not going to go into the whole chapter, just the first few verses here. I think we can become so bitter and just unmotivated to witness, unwilling to pray for our enemies, pitted against those that disagree with us, 
1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, which is love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. This verse grabs me the most. You know why? It says you have all the results. You have faith that you can move mountains. Everything looks correct, but you don't love. Look what it says. You are of no value. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, you even sacrifice and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. God knows, may I have your eyes for a moment, God knows what's going on up here, folks. He knows if you're doing what you're doing to get the praise of men. Verily, verily, you have your reward. God knows. But when that phone of life does ring, and there's an opportunity for you, you can have your mind focused, you can be prepared, but if you don't love as he loved, not going to have profit. That's why that message I preached last week is what I think is one of the most important things we've covered this year. Abide in me. Jesus is saying that. Hereby the world will know that you are my children. No, no. My disciples. But there's a lot of people that have all the physical talents. They're preparing themselves. They're very disciplined with their time. But they don't love. Love is what makes going to church something you, you get to do, not something you have to do. Love is what makes soul winning something you have the pleasure and joy to do, not the heavy obligation. Love is what makes prayer something where you are gripped by the reality of the ability to pray to an all-knowing, all-powerful all-present God, and not just something you're doing out of ritualistic repetition. Love is what we need here. It's what I need. And so we think, okay, I'll go look to some heroic example of love as my motivation. The Bible says in 1 John 4, we know love because God first loved us, not because we loved him. He loved us. And the scripture tells us that definition of, excuse me, that visual demonstration of love was Jesus Christ on the cross. You need motivation to share the gospel? Think about what Christ endured for the payment of sin. You need motivation to pray? Think of what Christ endured for the payment of sin. You need motivation to come to church more than just once a week? Think of what Christ endured on the cross for your sins. That's how we can be prepared when our finest hour does come. Look on the screen here. I have one verse. Dan is not here, but I remember she told me a long time ago this was her favorite verse. And I understand why. It's a motivation verse for her. Dana plays our piano faithfully, and we're very thankful for her. But I remember when she said this, and as I went through 1 John, I just am reminded of this verse. Because there's going to be two types of people at the judgment seat of Christ. They're all believers, but what quality of believers? 
And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We're all going to appear before the Lord. Those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, we will be with him. But in what state? Will we have confidence because we have abode in him in this life? Or will we be ashamed? Will we make what the hem writer said to be true? I wish I had given him more. Now, some may think I'm bringing the log of, of conviction on your head this morning. I'm not. You know what I'm doing? I'm coming alongside you. These things that I've preached about this morning, they're just as true for me. I need them as a reminder. But there may be some of you here today, you're convicted of the truth. You can be doing better. If the, if, if, if the phone did ring, you'd pick it up, but you could barely say hello. You can change that. You can get right with God. You already have eternal life. But what's the quality of the life you're living now? If the Lord were to appear today, would you have confidence or would, be, would you be ashamed? And it's not you want to get one over your fellow brother and sister in Christ. You're not going to be judged alongside of them. It'll be you and the Lord. And so if you're saying, I'd be ashamed. Well, you know how to get right. I'm not trying to beat you in the ground like there's a whack-a-mole. That's not. There are some pastors that are like that. They just like hitting people with the word. I want to help you see. And even if there's that hard moment of, oh, I want to come alongside you and say, well, let's fix it. My staff knows when there's problems, when things come up, anybody can point out a problem. Look, there's a leaky faucet. It takes a special person to get the right tools and fix it. We can identify problems all day long, but what do we need? We need implemented solutions. Communion is an implemented solution. It helps us focus, and we have a reminder of the high cost that was paid for our sin. Earlier in my message this morning, I gave the gospel, which was, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. This next part of our service, there's no Disney magic power in it, folks. The Bible tells us communion is, is for those who are worthy. Now, that gets icky in some people's mind. They say, worthy? What does that mean? I believe it means those who are a part of the body of Christ, meaning you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you have already believed on Jesus Christ, you know you're going to heaven, this next part of the program is for you. But there's also another description of worthy. It's that you have brought your sins to the Lord and you've confessed them. Not for salvation, but because that has gotten in the way of your walk with Him. And it does get in the way, folks. Can you imagine if you stopped talking to your spouse for a week? They're trying to talk to you. They're trying to figure out what we're doing for dinner, what's going on with the kids, that something happened and they want to talk about it and you're just giving them the cold shoulder. What's the quality of that relationship? Poor. It's still a marriage, but it's poor. 
The same thing can happen with our walk to the Lord. And we have Jesus who never strays from the light. He is the light. So who ends up walking away? We do. And we're stumbling in darkness, folks. We're hitting kneecaps. We're denting shins. We're breaking toes. We're hitting everything. This is an opportunity to come back into the light. You get right with him. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is not talking about you're born again again. I was talking about you're, in the, you're back in the light. You're abiding in him. And the way that we do that, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is telling us, the way that we do that is we remember his body and his blood that was broken and shed for us. Will you join me in 1 Corinthians 11? It's right where we just were. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation, punishment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What's the reason why this person experiences chastening? Because they're not discerning the price of the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And he's talking to the church in Corinth. Saints are dying because you guys are making communion something where it's like, hey, you bring the juice and I'll bring the food and we'll just, we'll just eat and gorge it up and gluttony and all that. There were people who had enough who were coming and those people who had nothing and no one was being provided for them. The Lord's Supper is not a third Sunday dinner in the back building. We partake of the elements because it's not about the elements. It's about what they represent to remind us Look at verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, so you think, wait a second, you just said we wouldn't be judged and now we are judged. We're not judged with the world. The judgment that comes is we are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. This is not about I'm doing communion to make sure that I'm not going to go to hell. You take communion to remind yourself the price that costs your eternal life. This is missed in a lot of places. I think if we had more churches that rightly divided the word of truth, we'd have a better opportunity to reach people. I'm just being very transparent with you right now. This is the most important thing you'll do today. I don't want you to be thinking about what you're going to do in the afternoon or what you have to do later. I want you to focus on the fact that you know you have eternal life. We know it, folks. Recognize how beautiful that truth is. Don't squander it. Please don't wait for January 1st to get it right. You can do it right now. I'm telling you this because I love you. And I want the best for you. God can do great things through those who are yielded and submitted to him. This is a first step in that process. And it, yeah, it's uncomfortable for the moment, but you, you, don't have, you don't have to sit in that. God's not simply saying, okay, you're dismissed. Next. 
He's given you a solution. So we're going to take a moment here. We're going to talk to the Lord. I want you to talk to the Lord. Pray to Him. Confess those things in your life that you need to get right. And then dwell on the fact that you are already forgiven. And thank God for that. Amen? I'll meet you in a few moments. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Let's get the little wafer out here that represents the Lord's body. We'll have prayer, remembering the Lord's body that was bruised and broken for us, and then we'll read from the screen here, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we remember the body of Jesus Christ, your Son, that endured great affliction here on the earth, beaten beyond recognition, bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. He had a body like we have bodies that experienced pain, and he endured that for us. He was not here merely as an example, but as the scripture says, a body hast thou prepared. So we remember that precious body of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray these things. Amen. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We'll take the second part of your communion cup here. Make sure you be careful with this. It can be a little difficult. This here merely represents, as the bread merely represents... This represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. I know Hollywood has done its work to try and present what that looked like. Regardless of what we may have seen or what the world's entertainment media has told us is what it was like, we know that it was extremely graphic. His back was flayed open. The crown of thorns that was depressed on his head was traumatic in just that. And then he hung on that cross to pay for our sin. That's why I led with that song. He paid it all. That was not merely the beginning of something that we had to finish. He did it all. And when we go home today, we think about who we are. It, you know, maybe that's what we do, our job, our titles. You're a child of God because of the shed blood of Jesus. Don't forget that. Don't steal that from yourself. But remember how much it cost. Heavenly Father, I think about the blood of Jesus. Shed for us at Calvary. We know what great suffering was required. We can't fathom it, but we know that you paid it for us. And we remember and give thanks. In the precious blood in name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. And now we know fellowship doesn't end because service is over. 
we get to continue to pray and encourage one another. And when you go out, wherever you're going to go out today, go out to eat, go out to see family and friends, you have great news to give people that all their sin is.